0: Welcome to Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black Light Mass Incarceration Show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Sponsored by Emancipate NC. Thank you again, Ms. Treva, for coming on Blacklight and just sharing some of your experience with us. Treva is a Justice League fellow of ours. Emancipate has a Justice League fellow where we just support people who are already doing the work and help them with whatever work they need help on. And so. Treva is part of that team. I was part of that team before I joined Emancipate, and it's a good journey. But yeah, without further ado, Ms. Treva, if you'd like to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about you.
1: Thank you for having me. My name is Treva Freeman, and I am formerly incarcerated. I have now very recently come off papers as well, so I'm totally free. I'm not, uh, I'm now registered to vote. I'll be doing early (laughs) voting later today. And I'm uh, very excited about that. I'm trying to restore all my lost rights and privileges. Yeah. So, um, I was incarcerated for 125 months due to defending my own life in my own yard. And in my opinion, it's also due to the corruption of the system, which that led to me being charged. So I'm just going to leave it at that.
0: So tell us a little bit about your experience while you were incarcerated, if you don't mind.
1: Oh, I don't mind at all. That, well, I'm here for, you know, I know you're interested in the abuse of power. And I, again, I believe abuse of power is throughout the entire system, beginning with the, there's corruption throughout the whole system which begins at the Sheriff's Through the journey for a person who has been incarcerated, there's a Sheriff's Department there's a justice system, and then there's the penal system, and then when you come out. Um, but the thing that bothered me the most is allegedly, or in theory, it's supposed to better our society. But in truth, it's really meant to keep the uh, the undesirables down and out of view. And it's not meant to really better anybody I don't feel like, but if that were its purpose, they it were being designed to better people. but there along my journey, I have met some people who did intend to help me, and they were like a match in a in a cave or something. It was just such a small light in a such a dark place that they made a great impact upon me. But the person themselves has to be in a place to be able to perceive that person and if you have been beat down so much and for so long that ability is not even there anymore to perceive that somebody is willing to try to help you and believe in you and give you hope in yourself nobody can do things for you but just somebody being able to instill hope in yourself that makes the biggest difference but it is extremely hard with a system that they basically teach the people who work within the prison system that it's a punishment system and punishment is not curative. It's vengeful. And then that in itself, again, it's not the purpose. And when you seek vengeance through the justice system, it turns into criminal when you start withholding clothes, food, water, bedding, sanitation. That's how I feel about it through some things I've been through. I don't know. I went through some journals and I found a few things I'd like to read about <laughs> the things I went through. I went in to prison at Raleigh in 2012, December 2012. And so I was there for five years. And then I had to, we have to earn our way to go to honor grade. So I went to honor grade and was there for a while. And then COVID came and then. In 2021, there was a closure of the prison in in Swannanola, a temporary cleansing of it. And so 64 of us got sent back to Raleigh through no fault of our own. And Mm -hmm. when we got sent back there, we were treated, not just us, it was Raleigh, which is terrible anyway. And then now we have COVID conditions on top of that, which changed everything all over the world. But it mm-hmm. also gave those people who want to abuse their authority, gave them more excuse to say, no, we're not doing that because it's COVID. Just sit on your bed and we're locking the doors. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. So we're in those conditions. And then when we want to ask for water, they're acting like, oh, you people are something special from up there. They didn't know we started off. Oh, they're like, like, we didn't start off here. All right. So he had been there a couple of weeks and so I'm, I, I got a few things on the radio. After finishing her bottle of water, inmate, Stacy, see, sees a larva crawling in her water bottle. We all throw away our drinking bottle or some just wash them out with hand soak in the bathroom if it's their only drinking container. And we throw out all the water in the cooler and wash it out the best we can. We get back a different cooler at the next ice run. We can't determine the source of the problem. There are so many ways the water could be contaminated. The ice machine, the unwashed cooler, the cross-contamination from quad to quad cooler, because we didn't get back the same cooler. The water coming from the bathroom, because we had to put water in it from the handwashing washing sink, because they just put six inches of ice in the cooler twice a day. That's all. In this big yellow cooler for 34 women in an an unair conditioned pod with one of the fans was broken. Or someone could touch the ice with unclean hands, either in the process of giving us ice or transporting it from the dining hall or even in the dorm. It must be 110 degrees in here because people are still drinking the water after seeing that, just to try to cool off. We also tried to shower to cool off, but our showers are push button operation, no temperature regulation. You can push it and it'll come out hot or, or cold. cold. Yeah. So then it was Thursday, August 26th in Raleigh, 21. So Friday, August 27th, it was declared code red, meaning total lockdown. Supper was delivered on styrofoam tray. I can't go to the dining hall anymore. August 28th, Saturday, breakfast was delivered at 8 a.m. They did not. Ber- they never brought the little styrofoam beverage cups. Just, just the six inches of ice. That's all we ever had to drink. Cold water was gone by ten a.m. They brought cold water again at two thirty. No lunch. No lunch. They told us that we were told to get on our beds by the sergeant. She turned the fans off, quote unquote, so we can hear her, and she berated us for running out of cold water threatening us with aid charges for dragging our little nasty aids and herpes and fenced hands in the cooler and getting out ice after we have been digging in our butts. So if we want ice, she will get it, but she will, quote, roll the camera back and see if anybody was doing anything wrong, and they will be fully punished. Why is it that only this quad runs out? We told her because the water fountain is broken in the fan, too. She said, people in hell want ice water. You know what's hotter? Pepper spray running down the crack of your butt. Oh my goodness.
0: Didn't think <laughs> that,
1: though. Um, they are not going to fix nothing. No fan, no water fountain. There have been work orders in here for over a year on the water fountain and the fan. That fan shoots sparks and flames sometimes. It just comes on and sometimes does that way. But this dorm got condemned because people was getting burned by the water in the shower. This is the oldest prison in North Carolina with the most inmates. Okay. And if I have to spray somebody in here, everybody's gonna get hit. And then you're gonna, you got nowhere to from but that scalding man shower that was burning people. Wow. Now, this used to be the kitchen quad, and I'd rather have them back. They didn't complain. Now, I've had to stop what I was doing, writing up a charge to come down here and talk to y'all to see if y'all really wanted this ice or not. I was sitting down there in the air conditioner. Did y'all notice how hot it got the longer I talked to y'all with the fans off? Now, I'm going to ask y'all again. Y'all supposed to be wearing your teal shirts, not these gray t-shirts, and you're supposed to be wearing your mask. Just know I better not get a call from Miss Whitaker. Okay. If I do, y'all won't be getting away with nothing no more. Now you want me to go get y'all some ice and make a special trip to the dying home just for this part? I will do that, but we will be rolling the cameras back and see who's been digging in her ice and we all scream on well, just to get her to cut the fans back on and go away. And I also, just in case one of us had got some iron down, and we didn't want to get anybody in trouble. She said, be careful about snitching so you don't lose what little privileges you got, which was wearing our gray t shirts instead of the teal, which we didn't have enough teal shirts anyway, because we only came there with clothes on our back, and then the clothes house never gave us anything. We all have one set of clothes and one pajama, and we had to wash our clothes in the shower every day and hang them up on our beds to dry and So that was threatened. That, like, Don't be complaining, which she was going snitching, or things were going to get worse. So this is the same day that we didn't get lunch. So then our lunch shows up at 4.15, and they're sitting outside of our cage, outside the door of our dorm. And we can see them, and we can count them. And the other pods got their food, and we can count. And we see them sitting there. At 4.15, we can see them, And At this time, we have 32 inmates, and we can see five stacks of seven trays, minus one. And the officer with no name tag said, no lunch for us because there was not enough for everybody. So she wasn't going to give it out unless there was enough for everybody. She had no idea when supper would be, but it was going to be a packout. Anyway, we got it. We got our lunch trays served at 7.05, no water or juice. 7.20, 7.20, our supper blackouts were served with no water or juice. At 7.29, it was trash call, which means we had to choke down our two meals and have trash all out within 14 minutes. 7... With no
0: water, no juice.
1: At 7.29, there was no cold water and no ice in the cooler. Yeah. And I just, did... Yeah. I don't know so I'm going what... ask you this, Treva. Yeah. That was just one day.
0: <laughs> of the, the hundred and sub... Okay. Yeah. I, I'm just... Uh,
1: and I worked hard to get that. I put up with a lot to get to the honor grade, just to be brought back. Like I said, and I'm only speaking on me, but it, that happened to a lot of people. And that's, like I said, that's just one day. I'm glad that
0: you journaled that because a lot of people, especially the people in DAC, they act like... Their staff is not ugly. They act like their staff Mm -hmm. doesn't do no wrongs. They don't harm people. They don't cause harm Mm -hmm. to people. And a lot of people don't journal that stuff down. But the fact that you still have journals from two years ago is amazing. And that just goes to show that the staff is disgusting to treat a human being like that and be like, oh, I'm in the AC and y'all are out here sweating like some slaves out here and. And it's still like that now to where I'm hearing that they're not giving them they're not giving them water. Mm -hmm. They have one police officer, one correctional officer who is taking lasers and like spotting them on certain people that's incarcerated and saying you're next and basically doing motions of they're going to shoot them. And so, Uh it's, you know what I'm saying? Like it's mentally Uh degrading. And so I want to know from your situation of defending yourself to actually being in prison, what was your thoughts? Were you like, how did I get here? Like, how did this happen? I was defending myself. What were your thoughts to go from defending yourself to being in an environment and around a bunch of correctional officers who act like people incarcerated the worst of the worst?
1: Yeah, at first, I'll be honest with you, the first couple of years, I'm, I'm estimating here. It probably took me a couple of years. At first, I was it might have been a year. I don't know. But at first, I was very angry about it because this is not right. I, I shouldn't be here. Then part of me was like, you know what? I could have died. Or given what I was charged with, I could have got a death sentence. Or I could have got a life sentence. I could have got hurt, You know, um, just take it and make the best you can out of it. You're going to come out one day. Be thankful for that. And it will pass. It will be over. And so, once I have that mentality, because I, I do I am a person. Even prior to this, I will try to make the most of everything. I'm not about waste. And so, just this is time of my life, and I don't want it to be wasted. Given that I'm made like that, I don't want to come out of this a uh, a victim. I don't want to be a victim in this situation. I'm not gonna let the state make me a victim. Mm-hmm. I have to take charge of how my life comes out. And given that, though, they, they don't do anything because of the way the system is set up and all these terrible things that do go on. It's not set up to help somebody think like that No, and, and to help society become a better place by sending better people back out abusive and traumatizing and if somebody comes in already traumatized which that's generally why people wind up in prison is trauma either childhood trauma or cultural trauma or whatever yeah. got them there that prison should be a place to work on that and figure out what can we do to help you so yeah. you can go back out and help your community and help your family to be better people and, and make the world a better place. That's that would be correction in my opinion. Please. That is correction. Yeah.
0: Finding be- the root cause and helping them fix that root cause, not adding more punitive punishment and just disrespect and mm-hmm. no respect for human regard because mm-hmm. he committed a crime. Like I was talking to somebody yesterday, like everybody commits a crime. Some get caught and some don't. And it's a mm-hmm. lot of the staff that have committed crimes are still committing crimes, which bringing in drugs is committing a crime, but everybody incarcerated and the family members get blamed for that, not the people that work there. But they they just didn't get caught. And from what I'm hearing, a lot of them now are deciding to start hiring people that have had a record because But the uh, event I went to a, a few weeks ago, they were saying that if we don't hire people who are formerly incarcerated who have a record, how do we expect the state to? Which is true in itself, but You still have to treat people with dignity and humanity and understand that they were there because of whatever generational trauma, whatever economical, social economical status that they're at, because a lot of people are in poverty and so they have to survive and survive for their family. Sometimes that leads to committing crimes, not intentionally, but it happens. America is like a cancel culture. Like we just like to cancel people and say, oh, you did this, so you will never be a productive citizen because you did
1: this and yeah that's what i see it as like just hit delete and i understand that the person who's never tried to understand that has that cancel mentality i wish we could help them understand and that's what i'd like to bring about the awareness that we're all people everybody is a person and So I I get the shock and the horror of some of these crimes. And you're like, oh, that person did this. So I hear you talking about you didn't eat. You had this, you had that. And even though I was like, I shouldn't be here and this and that, there are people who need to be. So I'm not saying nobody should go to prison and this and that. That's not my point. But when you get there, it needs to be something helpful. It doesn't need to be send them away to be abused. Because what good is that doing society? Because you're sending out even more broken people into the world. And then what are you getting? That's not helping anybody and not helping anything. The point is, even if we're never coming back out, if you're going to treat them in a way that if they were treating somebody like your child, if they had your child locked up in a room and they were like, oh, you can't eat today, and are not treating them mean and abusing them, you would call that a crime if they were doing it. So why is it okay for you and your badge to say, "Nah, you can't eat"? i want to set your food out here and let you look at it. I'm gonna think about this for a while. I'm gonna—I might pepper spray you, and it's 110 degrees. Why you don't have water? And why are you complaining? Then oh. I'm gonna give you a, a punishment for that for complaining. That's abuse and bullying and mental tortures. I'm not complaining about. We didn't get ice cream every day or something like that. This is humanity. Food, clothing, shelter, extreme temperatures, not going outside for days, day, cutting off the phone when they don't want people talking to the people and complaining about problems, degradation, humiliation, threats and screams and cursing at people. If a psychiatrist or something were to look at a home that a child ra- were, was raised in and see all that going on, they would they would definitely call it abuse and neglect it. And when a inmate is in the facility, they are on a level of a child in a way because they have their... <laughs> they're under subjugation of, of an authority. When they, they don't have a lot of control over themselves. In other words, like a child. And the person in charge of them doing all this to them, that is abuse. It is. It's um, extreme abuse. Neglect and, and abuse and bullying. But there have been a few people in my journey. Like I said, a few positive people. And they have been of all different careers in the uh, prison system, there have been supervisors of mine, who supervisors, case managers, chaplains, teachers, social workers, therapists, even officers, and wardens even. And all of these people have been able to show me that they believed in me and saw something good in me, even perhaps without even going out of their way to mean to do that. But And they were able to do that without doing anything outside of policy. That's what I want to say, that you don't have to be abusive and be a bully to do your job and do it correctly. So I don't know where this culture has come in that, that we have to be mean, but I think it's like a peer pressure thing in certain prisons that. Because I noticed a different atmosphere at different prisons, for one thing. The ones that actually treated you with humanity, did their
0: staff peers look at them like something was wrong with them because they were actually treating you with humanity without going outside the policy?
1: Some yes and some no. I think it depends on how far they push the envelope. So the first one I'm thinking about was a supervisor, and he had been there for many years, and he treated all people with equal Respect. I think that he didn't push the envelope and and do too much, stirring up problems. But his simple way was just to refer to us all as lady. And when we came to work, it was like going to a job. It was we felt like he didn't threaten us with write ups and things like that. But it, like any job that you go to in the world, you got you're going to have if you don't do this, it's going to happen or whatever. So that was his recourse if you. Do this, or will have to do that, or whatever. But he, want, it, we didn't feel threatened on a daily basis there. It wasn't right. oppressive spirit on the job there. So I think it just depends on the personality of the individual. I believe, yeah, some were a little more feisty than others, and they're taking a stand for their beliefs. I think, but and they may have rocked the boat with their peers a little bit. Just depend on the personalities, I okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: because I know I hear a lot of the correctional officers who treat people incarcerated with the humane dignity and respect. They get looked at as um, your incarcerated lover. You're on their side because the culture in prison is them versus us. And so a lot of them take on that culture because that's what they're trained to do. They train them to be y'all versus them. And everybody's incarcerated as a liar and you can't believe nothing they say. Like that old oh, plantation right. mentality. Yes. Um, yes. And so you have some who don't take that mentality and still remain human and treat other people with humanity and respect. But they also get looked at funny by their peers their working peers because they feel like they shouldn't treat them human. They feel like they should treat them like they're a piece of trash. And so a lot of them get that look or they... Might get disciplined and be thrown in a different part of the prison, or sometimes they even transfer them out of that prison to another prison. And so, I was just wondering if you had seen any of that where you were at.
1: I think about one lady in particular. She was a correction officer, and she had applied for a different position. I don't know the whole backstory, but she she thought she had it and started at that new position. But then, like, she wasn't cool with her peers. So. Right. Yeah and it didn't work out, but there may have been other things involved. Yeah, yeah. That was the most graphic thing I had pinned that I wanted to read, but I had something that I might have gone and it wasn't that nothing quite that drastic anymore. But I had a few things I read. But no, I mean I you know, it's good that you're sharing that
0: because like I said, a lot of people who aren't directly impacted by the system, they don't understand what happens. They just they know people are accused of crimes and they go to prison, they do their time. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, they'd be like, oh, if you didn't do the crime, you wouldn't have to do the time. But understanding what people actually go through when they're incarcerated is important um, for people to understand that and understand that we have to change the way we are allowing them to treat our people because everybody's human. At any time you can go home. You never know what's gonna happen where you can come home. And if you're in a environment where you're constantly tore down you're constantly yeah just tore down all the time by the staff and not and then you don't have support on the outside it could be really rough and that's why a lot of people come out and then go right back a lot of people are so institutionalized that prison makes them feel safe because they've been so institutionalized for so long
1: yeah it's like they their goal is to train your mind that just to break your spirit or whatever like you just do what we say but then a different one comes along tells you to do something different and it's just like to make you have no thought process of your own is goal and then if they succeed at that then how are you gonna succeed in life when you leave because you're like what do i do now Mm -hmm. tell me what to do Mm -hmm. that's not a successful individual in society that that does not know what to do and live on their own that kind of goes along with this one line from this next note here. Okay, so the prison clearly knows what the right way to do things is. I I put, uh, they had some people coming to inspect, so they had all these notes up and here's their sanitizing solution and all that. They were putting on a show for these people coming from downtown and it's do not touch these bottles of and You can't use them, but they're sitting here. Don't, do not use them. <laughs> so now we we're waiting for the backlash. The, we are going to do everything by the book. If the inmates are going to hold us to the fire, we will hold them. Yeah. Cause we had drug grievances and stuff like that. So now we're going to have to pay for holding them to the fire. Basically, if, if we're going to hold, if the inmates are going to hold us to the fire, we will hold them to it twice as hard. And we've always got them by the, you know what? Um, mm-hmm. all right. So six PM, no more cold water. Second shift officer now states. So here it comes, (laughs) that are now mandatory at all the time, even when we're sitting on the bed, unless asleep or showering. She states that she knows it's stupid, but downtown is screenshotting people and writing everyone up, including the CO. We no longer care about the threat of being written up. They've done the worst they can to us. And then this is just how I was feeling at the moment. I wrote it. All they can do to me now at home take my letters from Daryl and the boys and photos, which I may just mail home for safekeeping. If they demote me, maybe I'll go to Anson and have my own room and the air conditioning. The only thing worse than what they've done to us is just tie me up and rape me. But they have emotionally, over a long period, tortured and abused me. This is the culmination. Get me to accept not being fed and watered for 11 hours at a time. They act like these Noah girls are just so high and mighty because they have recovered someone from this type of abuse and speak out against it and are willing to ask for water. Ridiculous. Let's call it what it is, abuse of power. It is criminal. It is no less criminal to have someone in a hot cage and refuse them food and water just because they are legally given a position of authority than if they were a kidnapper or a serial killer denying his victim. A person in authority over another has a higher obligation to do the right thing by them. That mm-hmm. is absolutely true. That's how I was feeling that day.
0: <laughs> 11 hours without being fed or watered, you could have dehydrated. And then what, what they would have done if you would have died of dehydration?
1: <laughs> Probably not. It gonna- makes sense. I don't know. It's, it's criminal. You need. Toilet paper, cleaning supplies, just all these things are just basic human needs. And I just, I don't know, I just think people think that people complaining in prison are complaining about frivolous stuff, and they're not. It's human rights stuff. And I understand, like I said, that some people are in there because they need to be. And that's our system. If it worked as it should. That would be all right, but if you send somebody away to prison, let it do what it should do, not let it be a system about vengeance, because then you're misusing the system and it becomes criminal in and of itself. That's my point about that. Yeah, that's true.
0: So with your experience, what are some things you think that they could do to change
1: the environment of prison? They they really should be more programs, and I think the programs as they have, like just putting programs in is not an answer, but it would be great if the program suited the person. Find a skill for the person because it's been helpful for me. I've I, I made use of my time by finding something I can do once I got out. And I know there weren't many things offered to the ladies, but like a trade, some trades, especially if somebody has quite a bit of time, but also... When uh, when people are able to, if they have enough time to, because like I said, I was mad for the first year, so I don't know how much, to, it depends on how much time people have, whether for they do their own soul searching and mental health stuff, and that's a personal journey. It takes a different amount of time for everybody, how long before they're willing to get into that. If you go back out and you're still angry, then healing the child within was a good class. Health of the healing, I think it's what it's called, and. It, Helps you research yourself and what went wrong there, and that's a class for prisoners and bridges to life. It's about uh, recover with the helps you with the victim, mm-hmm. even if the victim's not ready to reach out to you or whatever. But it that's like some soul searching stuff, and I think finding a trade so you can feel like you're self sufficient and college courses. People need to be active in there, and if they can't be physically active, they can be active in their mind. They need to have a lot of books. They need to have a a structured day because in society, people don't just sit around all day watching TV. Not successful people do not. You know, you need to have like a schedule. I made myself a schedule, and it changed all the time because I got transferred or I got a new job or whatever, but... People need to create structure for themselves, and if the prison won't do it, you have to take initiative and, and do that for yourself.
0: How hard is it to get yourself on that mental, spiritual journey when you're already being degraded and tore down and
1: traumatized even more? It's extremely hard. I think, for me, when I come to the realization I am all I am, part of that is how I'm made and the things I've already been through. So that was an advantage for me that I already, you know. So some people rely very heavily on their peer groups and things like that. So that kind of keeps them from getting to that place. But when I, so I'm all I got to count on, so let me get busy. Yeah, to me get, I'm not counting on the prison system. I'm not counting on, but yeah, you have to pick yourself up. Every day, sometimes a couple times a day, you have to do things you don't want to do every day. It's a lot about goal setting. That's the big thing for me was setting goals. So I read Napoleon Hill, and I read that early on in my Senate, and then I kept going back to that and going back to that. You just write your goals and you keep focused on goals because you'll never reach them if you don't keep reading them and and then later on i read um the master plan by chris wilson and i recommend that to everybody who's incarcerated both of those books are very good books to help you well anybody who's free as well just keep you focused and motivated you have to motivate yourself nobody else is going to do it you're the one who wants to do something with yourself you're the only one who can pour into yourself and you're laying there staring at the wall or the bunk or the ceiling counting cinder blocks you might as well visualize what you want to have in a few years and then you can think about how you're going to get there yeah case manager doesn't really care (laughs) you got to live with yourself till the day you died so what you want it to be
0: (laughs) so you have to dig deep even when you're going through a very stressful traumatizing environment you still have to in a way, mute that in your mind and come back to yourself to get yourself prepared for anything. Cause you, like I said, you never know at any time that you could be released or there could be some information found in your case where you could go back to court. So you always have to be prepared. And I think that's one thing that I don't agree with when a lot of, when they have a lot of time, they don't let them take certain classes. And I think that they say it's because with certain certifications, you have to renew them every few years. But I'm like, just renew it. You know what I'm saying? Because you never know when that person can come home and they've been working in that job for a while, they've been in prison, and then they can come home and then actually find a job. Because I read the other day that 60%, which is a huge number um, of people who are formerly incarcerated, have unemployment issues. That's a huge percentage. So that intends leads you back to crime when you've been unemployed. Then you come home, your own papers, you got to pay the fines and the fees. If you're on a monitor, you got to pay that. You got to pay your parole, probation officer. You got to try to survive in every day. You need necessities. You need a house. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, why not set them up for success? And I mean, we already know they don't set up for success because prison is a billion dollar industrial complex. They make billions of dollars keeping people Mm -hmm. incarcerated, keeping them traumatized, America has not learned that we can keep our economy moving with thriving communities and thriving citizens who are being productive in the communities. How you keep your economy booming. But we've been stuck on this whole slavery train. And that's the only way we know how to make money is off of the backs of people and paying them nothing to do free labor while they make millions of dollars off the products that y'all make in prison. And they pay y'all 25 cents, maybe a dollar or two. That's why I made Blacklight for people to be able to come and have a safe space and be able to tell their story, but also inform the public as well that we have to get behind all of this. We have to get behind the people that's incarcerated. We have to get behind all the abuse of power. Mm-hmm. We have to get behind the penal system because they're also taking our tax dollars as well.
1: We're out mm-hmm. here working. The, the general public, I think, that does not realize it, they believe in this system, and that's the sad thing is that's what keeps it going. And then the abuse of it keeps it going. The corruption of it is like the biggest abuse of it. And that's like that that's what keeps it going. It's like we have to the corruption is what keeps it all covered up, and it makes it look so nice and neat to the voters. And then of course they try to take our rights to vote away because y'all know the truth. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna just
0: stop y'all from telling the truth on on the
1: polls on the ballots. Yes, Well, we're gonna keep y'all down and keep you locked up, keep you jobless, keep you paying us, and you know we're gonna keep you poor. And just all it takes is one bad mark to keep this snowball effect going. To, to just, you know, and whoever's good, quote unquote or considered undesirables. Mm-hmm. In society, that's um, who they keep this uh, slavery train going and and keep Trump off of that. And I just, I know it. To somebody who's never heard of, of this stuff before, it could sound like a big conspiracy theory or, or something. But for people who have lived through it, they know better. It's really
0: real. But now the slavery train is so greedy, it's just grabbing everybody. And Trump probably never thought that he would be... In a situation like this like it's literally grabbing any
1: <laughs> everybody they might lean he's not very desirable either. <laughs> they, they getting rid of him too right? <laughs> they, they got him now he said you see him right now <laughs> they really, tired of him too now <laughs> so, it don't matter who you are like the
0: slavery um, train okay, is just yeah. <laughs> it's just a grabbing everybody now, and so that it, it doesn't take much now to be involved in the system, whether you commit the crime or not. There's so many people that are falsely accused of a crime that never. That's exactly
1: why it needs to concern everyone, because uh, when it starts affecting your family and your, then it needs to concern. It should have always concerned everyone, because again, everyone is a part of this society. It should have always concerned everyone, but then when you start realizing, oh, they're coming for me, they might be—I might be next. Then the, all these abiding citizens that are the voters, and they make a lot of money and whatever—they Um they should be concerned mm-hmm. because the system is broken and it affects them. It might be coming for them. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's why it's important to understand your local elections. I cannot say this enough, Is it because it starts with your police department, first of all. Then it goes to the prosecutor. And if you don't have a prosecutor, which a lot of states, a lot of counties don't, Durham is the only county that has a progressive prosecutor who understands that people go through things, who understand that sometimes, a lot of times, you don't have enough evidence to convict this person and that they don't go pat up evidence just so they can convict somebody. So they can say, oh, look how many people I convicted so that they can then again re- win their re-election. And so understanding what harm your prosecutor and your police department is causing to your community is important. And it's important to go vote, especially for prosecutors, because that is a voting seat. That is something that you can take from them. You can take that power from them, because once you give the state power, They can come for anybody in your family. I don't care who you are. So it's really important to understand your local elections. It's really important to get out there and vote in your local elections. DAs, judges, Supreme Court judges, all of those have control over your life, literally. And they can take it away at any moment, any second, any time of the day. So that's why it's important that you are putting people in the seat that will understand and look at everybody like they're human, who will understand that people will commit crimes, but maybe not give them a long sentence. Find alternatives for them to do. Not everybody belongs in prison unless you've committed a heinous crime. Then you also have to understand the root cause of that heinous crime. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And so trying to balance, it's, it's a balancing thing that's going on. And so really getting out there and understanding your local elections and understanding the people that you're voting in are going to change your society, not make your society and not make it worse because now we're to the point where prisons are warehousing literally every age level there is you got babies in prison you got young kids in prison you got middle-aged people and now you have elderly so that's technically a whole community of people being warehoused in a prison Mm -hmm. and if y'all don't see that as a problem I don't know what to tell you, because it's it's a problem and it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And we're allowing this and we're taxpayers. And so we put these people in power. We should be able to decide how this system is ran. You know what I mean? And we have to take the blindfold off because we have been blinded for many years them saying, oh, public safety and. The, the crime rate is high. The crime rate is never, it, it's now starting to drop. Now they will tell you that it's still high, but there has been records and data proving that it's starting to drop. So instead of them uplifting that it's starting to drop and figure out other ways and alternative ways, they still want us to be in this illusion that crime rate is high. And that's why we need all these types of laws to stop people from committing crimes and things of that nature. But they commit crimes too they get away with it so they
1: like to give us all these illusions but they don't put out there a lot of times what it costs for the for the taxpayers to warehouse the babies and elderly people and what it costs in dollars for all this incarceration and united states warehouses more of its own citizens than any other country, yeah, country. correct yeah The land of the free, right?
0: No, that's an illusion in itself.
1: The The land of the free is an illusion in itself. That's what I'm saying. The the land of illusion, apparently. I don't know. America is something else, I'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's all you can say. is yeah. But I read something the other day that said, how can you ever have justice on stolen land? You can't. Think about that.
0: And that's that's what I'm like. You, You say the land of the free, but the Indians wasn't free. The slaves
1: wasn't free. Right. We still ain't free. We're, who's free in the land over yeah. here? The people that that claim they are in charge, they're really not free either because they are captive to their delusion. <laughs> yeah. Not- yeah, yeah. But I really have enjoyed my talk with you today. Thank, Thank you, you, Freebird. For- <laughs>
0: Thank you for just being there to let people know unveiling the mask of what incarceration is like and understanding that even when you are defending yourself, you still could be incarcerated. So I guess staying your ground on self-defense is only for certain people. It's not for everybody. Just like that, your life changed just like that. You know what I mean? And yeah. so thank you for braving that story to tell us and sharing with us your experience. And tell us a little bit about what you're doing now after incarceration, because we have talked about before, but let's talk about the things that you're doing now after incarceration, the person you are now.
1: Okay. I am reuniting with my family, first and foremost. I live very near to my two of my three adult children. I have three adult sons, and one is about 45 minutes away, and my two oldest boys are about five minutes away. And my very oldest boy, he is married and has a granddaughter, and I get to see them a couple times a week. Yeah, I get to see all my boys now, and so i just have them over for dinner and we go out for dinner and have little play dates with my grandbaby. And so that's very special after 10 years apart because my oldest was 18 and just starting college whenever I had to go away. And then my middle one was 14, I think, when I left. And now my youngest, I got to do match with him at Raleigh. So that helped us keep a close bond still. And he is 20 now. We're still close. All of us are, but I like being near them. So that's good. And I am trying to recover from a court-appointed attorney judgment that I have. I'm working on that. And I'm just trying to get my finances in order and get my feet back under me. I got some experience making dentures, and I'm going to try to Start like a nonprofit, hopefully, to help people who can't afford dental insurance. And I reached out to a clinic here that helps people with medical and dental issues, people that don't have insurance. Hoping to help provide them with some dentures for those people. That's amazing. Just got a lot of different little projects going on, trying to use my skills that I learned and support myself as well at the same time.
0: Well, that is amazing to hear because you hear so many stories about people not being able to make it and they go right back. And I think it's important to uplift stories of people who have made it through incarceration and who are making it in society after incarceration. It's important.
1: It is very much a challenge and there, it is very hard to find people to connect with. There's no kind of, there's nothing here where I live to say, hey, is there a support group or something for people re-entering society?" And there's nothing. And when I feel like I've successfully made it, maybe I'll use my peer support, um, especially a certificate to try to start something for people coming back out. Yeah, on
0: that end of the state, because it's important to have peer support, to have somebody to always call and talk to that understands what you've been through, because it's important. It's really important. And you can call me anytime.
1: Yeah. (laughs) thank you you're a great person to talk to
0: you're welcome you're
1: welcome thank Thank
0: you you, treva i thank you so much and i appreciate you take care call me if you need me
1: yes ma'am thank you (laughs) you're welcome bye
0: so thank you again for tuning in i hope you enjoyed today's show your host sierra cobb take care